Hey gorgeous, this is episode number 186 with the amazing sales superstar, Mitch Axelrod. Hi, this is Mitch Axelrod. You're listening to Heart Sells Podcast with Christine Schlonsky. Enjoy. I was really looking forward to finally get to Mitch for this episode and to get this into our calendars. And Mitch is going to share today how he went from 5,000 cold calls with no single yes to basically sales mastery. And I'm super excited to talk to him about his journey because he is a number one best-selling author, a speaker and mentor, the Golden Mike Award winner, and he delivered 3,500 seminars and workshops, trained a million people and helped them to generate 3 billion in revenue. If that's not exciting, I don't know. So let's tune in. Well, I am so excited to have you on Hard Sales today, Mitch. Welcome. No, it's always good to be with you, Christine. Yeah, and I love, love, love sales stories. And it's wonderful because your story is quite remarkable, especially for our listeners who are pretty uncomfortable with sales because you went through making 5,000, right? Five is three zeros. That's correct. Cold calls and zero sales in your first job. But that has led to something pretty, pretty amazing. So can you fill us in a little bit on your story? Sure, sure. Uh, when I got out of college, uh, I decided I was going to work for the number one Fortune 500 company at the time, which was Exxon. Now, you might think, okay, Exxon, well, uh, but they weren't selling oil and gas. They developed a division and they were selling something that uh, nobody wanted to buy, a facsimile machine. Okay, and when I tell this story, for people who are old enough to remember, I ask how many of you had a fax machine in 1978, and nobody raises their hand, you know. And so uh, Exxon created an information systems division. I went to work in the Garment Center of Manhattan, New York, and I climbed the skyscrapers in the summer of 1978. I made 5,000 cold calls, and I mean cold calls, knocking on doors, sweating, wow. uh, and 5,000 people said no. And a few of them said, hell no. Uh, and the reality was it was kind of humorous in a way because you couldn't sell one fax machine, which nobody wanted to buy because they didn't even know what it was. Who are you going to fax to? <laughs> right? So I learned a very valuable lesson in business. My first shot out of the gate. First of all, cold calling is about as old game as it is. Um, Nobody really likes to have strangers knocking on their door, although back then it was, a, it was a, an acceptable way of doing business. People, you know, they expected people to be knocking on doors. Uh, and the other thing I realized was, you know, this was really dumb. You know, there's no target. I'm just shooting arrows all over the place. And I said to myself, if I ever discover a way to sell that actually works, I'm going to use it and I'm going to share it with other people. And of course, you know, here we are literally uh, 40, almost 41 years to the day later. Actually, yesterday was my 41st anniversary wow. uh, in Congrats. business. And, uh, and every day for the past 41 days, I've sold something or, or talked about sales or taught sales. So uh, that first story of rejection 
uh, really set the foundation for me to be curious enough to say, okay, there's got to be a better way. And, and, uh, and if I don't discover it, uh, then I'm going to make it myself. And, and so that's how this whole thing got started. Awesome. Awesome. I just love it because, you know, so often I see people like after 10 calls saying it's not working. Right. And there's so much more to it. And we have several episodes on overcoming uh, rejection on what to do best. But you have found a new way and you, you've written a bestseller on it, the new game of selling. Uh, where you actually now teach people, well, not now, like since a long time, <laughs> mm -hmm. how the whole game can work better and how you can, you know, enjoy it even more because you have helped people over and over with making sales and helped them to create, I can't even say that big number, three billion of revenue. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, here's how it kind of all fundamentally started. Um, sales, when I grew up and into the game, got into the game, was sort of a thing you do to people. Mm. And I never, when I first started in business, I, after those 5,000 cold calls, I got into financial planning. I got my insurance license on October 31st, 1978. I set out on my own. Uh, and I went into a, an industry where I really went into the industry to help people. I was all about helping people. I could actually, I'll tell you the story before we're done, how I got my entire life's mantra at age 16. Um, and what I recognized after going through the Dale Carnegie uh, sales course, which I happened to win the New Jersey State Championship, uh, I realized that this, this is all like a one-way conversation. And people phase out of one-way conversations. I was mm. a conversationalist. I like to have interaction. I like to be with people and so I started to develop my own approach because the approaches that I was being taught all were like, you know, your pen or mine, trial closes. Uh, and I just, it just never felt comfortable. Uh, I, wanted to be the, I wanted to be on the same side of the table as you. I didn't want to be on the opposite side because that, that was the way it worked. The salesperson was on the opposite side of the table and there was this big barrier between you. And I said, I want to break down the barriers. I want us to be on the same side of the table because I'm advocating for you. Okay. And when I started to use the word advocate, everything changed because people were naturally skeptical as we all are. And you know, what's a shame about it is long time ago, 30, 35 years ago, I started asking people who likes to be sold to and nobody would put their hand up, but yet who likes to buy? Everybody likes to buy. What's the difference? One is choice. One is control. The other feels like default, like we're being pushed into something. I never feel comfortable with that. So I always look to advocate for my clients from the very beginning. And that shift in context, you know, they, they talk about content is king today, but context yeah. is the kingdom. Mm. And if you think about the context of every interaction, you set the context. It's expected that you are the seller, quote unquote, you're the professional, you set the, so what context are you setting? I wanted to set a context of, of ultimate trust, all right? And when you're early in the game, and this is why so many people fear sales on top of all the, the uh, tactical things that they need to learn, there's this uncomfortable feeling, right? When you start out, you don't have high credibility or track record, all right? So what do you build on? Well, you have to build on trust. So there's two things. As you get longer in business, 
your credibility and your track record increases. But when you're new in business, what do you bank on? Well, you've got to bank on trust that you're going to advocate your customer and do what's in your best interest of your customer. If you do that, then your credibility rises and everything sort of bubbles up from there. All right. And so I went for the trust. I went to be an advocate and the conversation shifted from me presenting, you know, overcoming objection to me having a questioning process that helped people make a good decision in their best interest. All right. And that context shift was apparent from the first minute I opened my mouth to the follow-up conversations to the point at which I would say, what's in your best interest? Is it to move forward with my recommendation or is it to go somewhere and, and seek something else? So that was the most profound thing I learned early on is that the way I wanted to sell was different than the way I was being taught to sell. And you know what? I said, I'm going to have to do my own thing. And so I started to develop my own models, my own methodology, my own questions. And then I started to put them together uh, and I used them for 10 years uh, in my financial planning practice before I actually put them out into the world and uh, started teaching others. Mm, I, yeah, I just love that because, you know, our listeners, they are heart-centered. They want to feel amazing that we have a lot of coaches, healers, creatives, solopreneurs that really bring their heart into the conversation. But when we, when we look at movies like Boiler Room, Wolf of Wall Street, like all these sales movies where, you, where it's just about the money, then people don't want to be related to that as a person who then needs to sell, but they also need to show up as a leader because they, you know, they support people coming to them for a solution. So they cannot really shy out of that sale. They have to have the conversation. And I, I loved what you said, you know, they are on the same side of the table. Mm. Uh, I think this would be appropriate for me to tell you my life's mantra, okay? It actually handles a few of the uh, preliminary questions that we were discussing what we might talk about because there's so much to talk about. Yeah. When I was 15 years old, my, actually, my, you know, it's my first sale really happened at 13, when I convinced my dad to get up at five o'clock in the morning so I could gather newspapers and deliver newspapers in the middle of winter. Okay. That was the first sale I made. And, but I was so ambitious. I wanted to work. I wanted to serve people. Right. So when I was 15, I started working in what we call here in, in the U S a, a luncheonette. It's sort of a counter where people come and have breakfast and lunch and we serve and I would cook the food and hand it to them, right? So I didn't just serve it to them. I actually had to cook the food and make the food. Well, I used to get tips of 10 cents, 15 cents, 20. This is a long time ago, but those nickels, dimes, and quarters put me through college, okay? And they, that was my spending money. One day, I'm 16 years old. A guy waves to me, and he calls me into the back, and he says, opens my hand, and he puts a dollar bill in my hand. And my first reaction, this is so very human, oh, you already paid your bill. I thought he was trying to pay for his bill. He says, no, 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 that's for you. And now I had never gotten more than a 35 or 40 cent tip, right? And I looked at him and he looks at me and he says, Mitch, you were smiling from the minute I walked in. You were immaculate. You were clean. I, I just pointed to you. You know exactly what I get. By the time I sat down, you served me. You talked at me, with me. He says three words to me. You're worth it. 
Mm. I was 16. Nobody in my life had ever said to me, you're worth it. I mean, outside of my parents, you know, occasionally, but really think about it. How many people in your life, you're in business, you're in sales, you're whatever. How many people have actually said to you, you're worth it? Okay. What I've realized in that moment, and it really dawned on me that that's been my life's mantra. I didn't expect the tip first. I loved and served him and he rewarded me with his money. That's what I got from that interaction. And he rewarded me in terms of what he thought I was worth, not what I thought I was worth. Wow, that's pretty profound. Right, so now imagine learning that lesson at 16 Mm -hmm. and carrying that lesson through for the rest of my life, recognizing that more often than not, if you love and serve people, they will reward you with their money. And whenever I was down and out and I'd, I'd been bankrupt and I'd, I'd been wealthy and I'd been bankrupt, I'd been on every edge of the spectrum, uh, all I had to do is stop and, and after I licked my wounds and ended my pity party, I'd say, okay, who can I love and serve who will reward me with their money because I'm loving and serving them? And how can I love them and serve them in the highest and best way where I become what I now call the trusted voice of choice. We used to call it the trusted advisor. In fact, I was the first person in the insurance industry got landed me on the insurance industry magazine front cover to teach insurance agents how to transition from product salespeople to trusted advisors. Mm. I wanted to be the most trusted advisor because I thought, you know, if I'm trusted, even if I don't get the business, if I don't get the sale, I still have a relationship. And I can't tell you hundreds, and I'm not talking about dozens, hundreds of clients, opportunities, business deals that came to me over my course of my 40 years that came from people who did not do business with me and never gave me a dime. Why? Because I treated everybody as a human being first, not as a, 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 a sale. I realized that the relationship was more valuable. The relationship capital was more valuable than the commission. And you can smell somebody, I used to call it commission breath, right? You could smell somebody coming from a mile away. It's like, whoa, get me out of here. And I never wanted to have commission breath because, you know, we're all on commission, really, when you think about it. What's odd about the word commission is how how words are powerful. I'm a a wordsmith. I've really spent my life being careful and, and, you know, really attentive to my words. And the word commission really comes from somebody hiring you to do a job. I commission you to create a piece of art. I commission you to write a piece of music. I commission you to help me get my product out there. So commission is a really noble thing. And I think there's a lot of things that are attached to sales that are are looked at as less than noble because of our way of thinking about it. Well, I wanted to bust all those myths. I wanted to give people a methodology, a psychology, and a spirituality of business that merged not just their goal, but their role and their soul. Mm. All right. And those three words, soul, role, and goal, have been and are and will be a big part of my work because the new game of selling is all about, it's not just the goal of selling. What's the role of selling? You know, what's the soul of selling? And when you, when you merge those three and you come to the game with the soul, role, goal of intention, to do the highest and best for other people, uh, you really can't help but be successful. 
right? But you also need to know the, the strategy, the tactics, and, and, the, and the language. So that's what I set out to do. And, and you know, I've been fortunate to train over a million people uh, and help them improve the quality of their business and their life. Yeah, I love it. I would love to come back to what you said earlier, because I think it's so, so important. The value, the person that gave you the dollar and said, because you are worth it, right? Making you mm -hmm. that compliment and backing it up with money, with an energy exchange of what he was, you know, he thought he wanted to reward you while you were more or less expecting pennies. And I think 35 was the highest amount you said before. I, I'd gotten a 50 cent tip once. Yeah. And you've probably felt amazing, right? Yeah. So there's this interesting thing when we look at ourselves and, you know, it's so for, for everybody who has a solution or has a gift they, they are giving to the world, usually this comes to them with ease. Right. So when I coach about sales or mentor about sales, I don't need to turn my brain like it's not hurting. It's something that just comes natural because I spent so many hours learning about it, training, training other people. So this is something that's easy for me, but for somebody else, it means the world. So when we look at ourselves, we usually put a lower value on what we bring to the world than somebody looking from the outside in because they see this tremendous support and help they are getting from us. So how can people kind of close that gap, especially when they are afraid to ask for the sale, to ask for the price they really want to get, but you know, let's say they, they totally undercharge, over-deliver all the time, and they don't know how to get out of the cycle. Mm. Um, everything you described was me. Okay. Cause, yeah. and I know now why with this work around soul, role and goal, which stems from axiology, the science of human value. It's a three dimensional model. Uh, about 70% of us undervalue ourselves intrinsically. And what we do is we translate that, undervaluation to the extrinsic world and how we price ourselves. Okay. And so if you asked a hundred people who were in business who had to price themselves, raise your hand. If, if you undercharge more often than you overcharge, raise your hand, every hand would probably go up. Right. Yeah. Very few people feel overcharged and feel good about it. Uh, I had this problem resolved and, and just about every other problem I've ever had or encountered in sales I've had resolved by my clients. And here's a, here's a, here's a tip I have for everybody. Whenever you have a fear of something of anything, declare it. Okay. Declare it. So, you know, Christine, I was sort of really cautious and hesitant about reaching out to you because I thought you might misconstrue my reaching out to you as me wanting to sell you something. In fact, I just had this, happened to me this week with a colleague, believe it or not. And I sent him sort of a, a, a page with some different aspects of how I work. And, and his response was, oh, in a buyer and seller relationship, you have to, the buyer, the seller has to prove value. And I'm like, well, I wasn't sending you for that. Just goes to show you how you, what you communicate, what you say is not what's heard. 
So I've become like incredible at listening, not just with my ears, but with my eyes, my heart, and my soul, and to hear what's in the unsaid, because very often it's in the unsaid that is what you miss because you're so listening for what's being said, okay? So here's what happened. I was doing exclusively corporate training. When I shifted out, after 10 years of financial planning, I was getting all my clients from doing seminars. I created a seminar called uh, Reality of Change, Shifting Economic Tides, and I would go and do it, and I'd get people in, and I'd work with them, okay? What I realized is I loved the training better than the money management. I hated the money game. I used to stay up at night worrying about it. Well, after I lost a million dollars in one year, uh, I realized, okay, uh, and my wife was eight months pregnant. I had 5,000 left to my name. I said, I better do something I really love to do. And what I love to do is train, okay? And so that's how I made the transition into being a full-time trainer. Worked with Brian Tracy for a few years. I'm sitting with a corporate executive, right? And I was doing exclusively uh, companies, businesses, uh, million-dollar companies, because that's where I kind of got into. Well, this guy is sitting there telling me about his project. And as he's talking, I'm thinking, this is about $25,000, okay? If he were to ask me, Mitch, how much would you charge us to do this? I would have said $25,000, okay? Here's what happened. He says, Mitch, why don't we talk about money? Which was always great when somebody else would bring it up rather than I have to bring it up. He's like, oh, thank God he brought it up. (laughs) Now, I'm like three years into this, so I'm not a neophyte, but I'm... Anyway, this is profound. He says, Mitch, let's talk about money. We have about $100,000 for this project. I said, great. A question popped into my head, okay? And this is the power of listening and being present. I said, out of curiosity, how much of that have you allocated for me? Okay. He said, he looked at his associate. He says, we've come up with probably about 70,000. Is that okay? I said, that sounds about right to me. That sounds good. Can we shake on it? (laughs) Okay. What just happened? What just happened? If he would have said, yes, yes. I asked him basically, what was it worth and what am I worth? And what happened in that moment was a profound transformation that I've now had the good privilege to share with a million people. Never quote a price. Um, If you're selling a service, uh, if you're selling a hard good, I understand there's price. If you're selling a service, never propose a price until you understand, number one, what is the project worth to them? Not just in money, in other things too, operational, whatever. There's a lot of ways you can determine that. What have they allocated for the project, the initiative? And then how much of that initiative have you put aside? You could use, I like soft words. How, how much of that have you put aside for me to do the job you would like me to do? Now, here's what's beautiful about this. If they give you more than you would have quoted, take it. (laughs) Yes. Okay. Just take it because you do not know what you are really worth. Very few of us really know what we're worth. Yeah. And then fewer still actually have the courage and backbone to charge what we're worth because we're always conscious of, 
you know, are we charging too much? Very few of us are conscious of are we charging too little until we start doing the work and we realize we charge too little, right? Mm -hmm. So ask somebody what it's worth. What's the project worth? What have they set aside for you? And if it's less than you would have charged, say, that's great. You wanted to set aside 20,000. I think this project for me is 25. Let's talk about how we, you know, get, get together on this. Okay, we're close enough. On the other hand, if they say it's worth 70, why would you ever come back and say, no, 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 let me charge you what I think I'm worth, right? So I'm giving this seminar and I'm doing a breakout session. A woman is sitting in the front row and she is fuming at me and I could tell. And so I said to her, I see her, I said, you seem like you have an issue here. <laughs> she says, I can't believe you charged them. I told the story. She says, I post my rates on my website. I said, well, you know, I'd pull them down if I were you. Okay, she's in the service business. And she was belligerent. She says, Mitch, how could you charge way more than what you would charge? I said, first of all, if you want to limit yourself to what you think you're worth, that's your prerogative. I would encourage you not to. I would encourage you to go back to every client that you've worked with in the past six months or a year and have a conversation about what you charged versus what they thought it was worth and what they might have paid if it was up to them to determine the value of the contract. Just, for, just to find out. And if everybody says you're worth exactly what you charge, then you're charging a fair amount. But what if those people start saying to you, oh, we would have paid more, we would have paid more, we would have paid... Would you just keep your prices low because you think you're worth that? Or would you start to raise your prices because you realize your value to others is greater than the value to yourself? That was a dynamic, profound moment in my career. And I'm, I'm pleased to be able to say by sharing it with hundreds of thousands of other people now, you know, it's really helped them as well. Yeah, I just love it. That's so profound. And I'm so happy we have another interview scheduled because we're already out of time. And, uh, you know, I will have all the links to you in the show notes, but where, where can people find you right now? Where do you want to send them to have a look? Well, my main site is MitchAxelrod.com, and that's where my blog is, my writing is, some videos and such uh, of my speaking and whatnot. Uh, and then the new game of selling.com, which is uh, more than a book. It's an entire training system. Uh, and so you'll get some good stuff there as well. The new game of selling.com. Awesome. Yeah, definitely. All the links will be in the show notes and thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. I personally think everybody should listen to that episode at least three times, if not more, really take notes because you had so many golden nuggets that I'm so super excited that we are having a second interview because I have a ton of questions. Yeah, <laughs> I you. can't wait. Thank you so much. Have a great day. You too. Well, isn't this just an amazing story that Mitch just shared with us? I think it's so motivating and inspiring and it shows you that when you stick to something and you really are committed to get it right, you can. 5,000 cool calls, zero sales to mastery, a best-selling author, teaching millions of people is just so amazing to me. 
I hope you really enjoyed the episode. Hop on over to christineschlonsky.com for the show notes, the transcripts, the resources we talked about. And while you're over there, sign up for the empowerment notes. This is empowerment right into your inbox as well as all the updates to Heart Sells Podcast. And maybe because you are over there, you might get the one or other episode before everybody else gets to it. Have a wonderful day wherever you are in this beautiful world. And I'm saying bye for now. Mm -hmm.